This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back, Jeff Merrick Show. Jeff is on assignment in Owen Sound, where I heard the fries in the arena are fantastic. At least that's what he tells me. And Sam McKee, producer Sam McKee here over at Sportsnet 590 Fan, tells me they are awesome. Speaking of awesome, last night in Ottawa, pretty good. Brady Kachuk, four-point night. And joining us to talk about that and more, Ian Mendez from The Athletic. Ian, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much. And, and you know, last night, um, going into the game, and we'll get to this a little bit later, you know, uh, the, Matthew Joseph gets scratched, and and I'm going into it thinking, oh, this is this is not a good look. And then Brady Kachuk puts on a show, and everybody's forgotten <laughs> about it. Um I was saying this to, to Elliot Friedman before, you know, watching that game and, and watching how good Brady Kachuk has become and thinking about all the chatter about him leaving and he's not going to sign an extension. He's going to do what his brother did. And here we are months later and he is a complete player and not even close to his ceiling, which is frightening for a guy who's already so good. You know, what's funny is you go back to when Ottawa signed him, to the eight year uh, or sorry the seven year extension and it was over eight million and there were some people who thought ah you're overpaying for him right you're overpaying because you need to keep somebody and you know you're paying him eight point two but he's not an eight point two player he doesn't have the offensive ceiling of his brother but I'll tell you what he's unlocked something here uh, this season and you saw it last night career high four points but more importantly the overtime goal I think showed you if you think about if you close your eyes and thought about Brady Kachuk in the beginning of his NHL career, you would probably think of a guy, well, yeah, he's just kind of banging around the blue paint. He's kind of getting some goals from in that area. But if you watch him, I would say the last, I don't know, 18 months or so, he's got this penchant for scoring from outside of the kind of the high slot. And last night's overtime goal is a great example of that. So he's become the leader of this team, the face of the franchise. And because he's locked in for, you know, the foreseeable future, you know, the fans have fallen in love with him. And I think there's a feeling here that you can fall. If, if you're an Ottawa fan, you can fall in love with Kitchuk and Stutzla and Norris and, you know, go down the list, Thomas Shabbat, whoever else you want to add on the list, because they're locked up here. And they're all kind of these likable high end players who are, who are kind of all sort of reaching the, the peak of their career at the same time, or should be reaching the peak of their career around the same time. Well, I'm glad you brought that up about him being so likable because he, he is. And the the one thing that I, that I always hearken back to is, is you can't, I, I feel like in this league, it's really hard to win when you don't have guys like that. Like Matt, like Brady Kachuk is, he's the guy who does everything. He can score. He's a, he's a good playmaker. Like the pass he made last night on Batherson's goal was, was incredible. And, and he's physical and he fights and, and he is the, the, the prototypical power forward, but he's also insanely skilled. And I think that's part of the reason why he's so likable. He, he literally plays in every facet of the game and he's an important piece. And let's not forget, he's a big man. Like he's six, four two eleven, and he's, a solid, solid physical presence. I mean, there are teams that would, would pay even a lot more than $8.2 million to have Matt, uh, Brady Kachuk on their team. You know, I, I always think about, I had somebody tell me who was with the Montreal Canadiens when they went, remember when the Canadiens went on that Cinderella run in the summer of 2021? Of course, a lot of, a lot of people remember, right? They go, they go, they end up playing the Stanley Cup final against Tampa Bay and losing. And I had somebody from that Habs team tell me, you know, if 
we had drafted Brady Kachuk and not caught Kanyemi. I wonder if we either, you know, win that series or we push it six or seven. And I think that, you know, that was an eye-opening comment to me because I, I, I never thought of it through that lens. But it also got me thinking of this. I can't wait to see this young man play in the Stanley Cup playoffs because his game is built for that. It's, it's almost like, you know, when, when Ottawa had their problems in the early 2000s, kind of, and I'll use Toronto as an example because they just couldn't get over the hump of the Maple Leafs. Like, if you could teleport or, like, time travel Brady Kachuk back into the early 2000s and put him on those Ottawa teams, I kind of feel like that's exactly what they were missing, the, the sort of, you know, their version of Gary Roberts that could do it all and be menacing and, 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 and kind of bring all the elements to the game. It's going to be a ton of fun. And I, I still think, obviously, the way that the season has gone, we're still a ways away from maybe a year, maybe two years away, gosh, I don't even know, of seeing him play in the playoffs. But that's going to be a lot of fun because I think he's going to be the type of guy who really shows up in April and, uh, and, and May. No question. And, and I, I, <clears throat> I totally agree with you. Like the, those Ottawa teams of yesteryear were perceived to be, you know, let's face it soft um, in comparison to, you know, let's say the Leafs who employed, you know, Shane Corson and Darcy Tucker and Gary Roberts and Ty Domi and go down the list. But I, I'm glad you brought up that part about Brady Kachuk's game and just how it translates to the playoffs, because I think his, the way that he plays is even so much more important in today's game because, frankly, there's just not a lot of players like him. No, and it's true. Like if you if you think about hockey in the go back in the '90s, and there was there was a, in your mind there was a prototypical power forward, right? There would be Cam Neely or Rick Tockett, or and then you got into the 2000s. I feel like Jerome McGinley kind of um, you know filled that space for for a long, long time. And if you think about today's game, you're like, wow, I. I don't know who would be the prototypical power forward, but I, I, I would submit Brady Kachuk onto that list. And I think, um, you know, what I really, like I said, what I really like about him is I think when Ottawa, it's, it's, you know what, there's a lot of people in Ottawa that probably have to go back to the summer of 2018 when they draft and go back and delete your social media posts from draft day 2018. Because there's a lot of people who thought, what are you doing? You're drafting Brady Kachuk. This guy scored eight goals in the NCAA, and you're drafting him over Philip Zadina, who has the high-end skill. And again, if you if you were to redraft 2018 right now, uh, I, boy, I think Ross Mustalin still goes one. I think he's just a wonderful player because he plays defense. I think he's the guy. But I think Brady Kachuk and Svechnikov is a saw for a wash. And, yeah. and I don't think a lot of us thought we'd be saying that. But I think Brady Kachuk has reached that, that point. He scored 30 last year. I think that's the floor for him. I think when he broke in, we thought 30 might have been the ceiling. I think 30 is the floor for him moving forward. I don't disagree with that one bit. I think that's absolutely the floor. Ian Mendez from The Athletic covers the Ottawa Senators joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. And 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 the first round pick from the year before was Josh Norris. And, and last night made his return to the lineup for the first time since October 22nd and played 19 minutes last night and, and certainly didn't look out of place. You know, when, when he went down, it really did feel like uh, – people were slotted out of position kind of like Shane Pinto got off to that great start. And then as he moved up further in the lineup, it felt like the offensive numbers started to go down. Now that Josh Norris is back um, players slot in where they're supposed to be. How important is Josh Norris to, to the overall 
scheme of things with, with the Ottawa Senators. I mean, he's an important piece, but he really is a guy that, that makes this offense go. Yeah. And you know what? Like he scored 35 goals last year. I think he played 66 games. Yep. Like he, he missed, uh, you know, 15 or 16 games with, with a shoulder injury. And if you start to look at what Josh Norris has done in the NHL, look at his shooting percentage, like his, his shooting percentage is kind of, he's been a 15% shooter in this league. And, and you take that out of your lineup and what, what has been Ottawa's ironically, what Ottawa's biggest problem has been in the last month or so has been scoring goals and scoring goals. Uh, wasn't supposed to be their problem with the Brinkett and, and Giroux. And then, you know, but, but Norris is their, their most complete centerman right now. I think in, in, in a year from now, I think maybe Tim Stutzler can maybe take that mantle away. But in the here and the now when he's healthy, Josh just play. He can just do so many things. I think DJ Smith just inherently trusts uh, Josh Norris. And so to lose him, essentially he's been gone for half the season. I don't think it's a coincidence that with Norris in the lineup, I think they're five and two. And again, it's a small sample size. They're five and two. And then without him, obviously they're, they're, they're quite a bit under 500. It, it, you know, Shane Pinto scored last night, which I thought, I thought it was interesting because Norris didn't score. But Pinto was very quick to say, you know, kind of the reason why I scored in the power play yesterday is the Penguins were so preoccupied with Norris from the right face-off circle that it opened up a little bit more room for me that I don't think that I've had recently. And I got into that kind of bumper pop position and I let one go and he scored. And so it, it, it's just going to open up some things for them. I think it's going to give them two good power play units. I think it'll move Pinto down to three. Um, it just, it, it makes them look like the team we thought they could be when the season started, which was, you know, maybe they can push for a playoff spot, which now I think feels a little bit uh, far-fetched, but Hey, there, there's still a little bit of hockey to be played here. Um, just to get this one out of the way, cause I, I believe we did get something on it. Um, Matthew Joseph and yeah. last night was going to be a pretty incredible night for the family. There was, it sounded like there were 50 family and friends in there to watch Matthew and his brother, Pierre Olivier, uh, play against each other. And then we got the healthy scratch. And now, um, I, I believe it was your tweet that I saw that it basically said like, Hey, this was something that it was his fault that he said, and, and we're moving on. Have you, have you been able to gather anything further from that? Yeah. So listen, I, I pretty much just walked out of Canadian tire center here and we just spoke with Matthew Joseph just spoke with DJ Smith and the way that they're framing this DJ Smith said, look, he was a healthy scratch. It's a non hockey related issue. And then Matthew Joseph said to us about 15 minutes ago, look, I'll address this one time. I made a mistake. I'll wear it. Uh, now he didn't elaborate what that mistake was. Is this a, a curfew breaking a missing of a team meeting? Well, I, we don't know. Um, but it, it obviously rose to the level where they felt like they needed to discipline him and miss a game. And I think what's really important here is, and this is the world we live in, right? Is that there was a, there was about a 20 hour cycle yesterday uh, where DJ Smith was taking a beating from Senators fans. Oh, saying, yeah. How on earth could you do this? His family's in town. The brothers have never played each other. This is, and, and, and people were drawing the line saying, this is, this is why he was a Mike Babcock disciple because Babcock would do this to, to Medano. He did this to Spezza. This is not how you treat people. And, and I think it's really important here that we listen to what they said today. This was not DJ Smith saying, you know what, I'm going to send you a message. DJ Smith is one of the most player-friendly, player uh, 
forward-thinking coaches in the National Hockey League. I can't stress that enough. If DJ Smith thought he would send a message to Matthew Joseph by sitting him with his family there, he would never do that. So obviously this there was something more nefarious behind the scenes. That's what, That was my indication yesterday, and certainly they, the, the two sides seem to agree to it today. And I think what's really important is you know Matthew Joseph's body language today was that of, hey, I'm ready to move on. It didn't feel like you know, sometimes you, you deal with these sticky situations and you can tell there's residual bitterness or anger between the player and the coach or vice versa. There was none of that. I can't stress that enough that this feels like, Hey, I made a mistake. I am an adult. I'll make, I'll live with the consequences. Let's move on. It doesn't, it feels like there's nothing to see here, but certainly when you have a game like Ottawa did yesterday against Pittsburgh, which essentially they're in the must win territory and you get a guy like Joseph who hasn't played in a month and is ready to go and as a healthy scratch, it's going to be a story in this uh, in this marketplace. I got about two minutes here, so I'll get to this very quickly so I can hear your thoughts on it. Um, uh, young defensemen take a lot of time to develop in most cases, especially their offensive game, and Moritz Sider was one of those guys last year where he's worried about defense and not so much his offensive game. But Jake Sanderson really looks like he's ready to take that step forward. He's super smooth with the puck, and, and he looks like uh, uh, he's going to be a real player and an offensive force in this league, doesn't he? Yeah, and, you know, for the people that don't get a chance to see him, if you get a chance, this, you know, this weekend with Hockey Day in Canada, they got the game against the Jets. Uh, I, I'll promise you this. Jake Sanderson, 85 for Ottawa, will do one thing during the course of the game that you'll be like, wow, I can't believe that guy's 20 years old. Like, it, it's, it's, it's really amazing. And, and, you know, when you talk to the people that were around him in North Dakota, they're like, this was the exact trajectory of, of Jake in North Dakota. He came in kind of just wanted to make sure he got his feet wet, didn't want to, uh, you know, cause too much of, uh, of waves by trying too many things offensively. But the minute he felt comfortable, it was like he, uh, that side of his game was unlocked. And I, I think we're getting there. I think he's going to have a little bit too much real estate in terms of trying to get into the Calder race. Like, I think Matt, like Matty Padiris, what a year he's having. Like, and, and, you know, I think Owen Power's been great in Buffalo too. And there's, there's, trust me, there's a handful of rookies. But if Sanderson can kind of, get some power play points here and maybe pop offensively. I think he might get into the Calderas, but regardless, Ottawa has their guy. Like this is the guy that they've been waiting for. He's a legitimate, this guy's going to be a back end stud for them for the next decade. And it's been really fun to watch him kind of progress here over the first three months of his NHL career. Yeah. He's, he's so just, he's so smooth. Like all the time he's so smooth and he's just, he's a treat to watch. And I agree. If you, if you, haven't watched Jake Sanderson should probably make a point of doing that. Listen, Ian, uh, always great having you on. Thanks so much for taking some time for us today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, Matt. Have a great day. There he goes. Ian Mendez covers the Ottawa Senators for the athletic. And I mean, when you look at that Ottawa Senators team, they've got the forward group that Stutzla and to, and Kachuk and Norris and Batherson and and when you look on defense, they've got Thomas Shabbat and Jake Sanderson. If they could get, if they could add, I mean, even Artem Zub, you can put into that conversation. But if they can round out that roster and get some goaltending help, because Cam Talbot's been decent, but certainly hasn't been the Cam Talbot that we saw in Minnesota and, and in other places, thanks in large part to the fact that defensively the team is not very good. But my goodness, if they could figure it out in Ottawa, they have the young horses that can go and really kind of make that team and push them into being a contender in the Eastern Conference. Like that, 
That forward group is young. They're super impressive. I mean, Brady Kachuk front and center last night against the Pittsburgh Penguins with four points, three assists going into overtime, and then he pops the OT winner. I mean, he's a Kachuk. What else do you expect? Um, That's it for hour one here. When we come back, the random player of the day, and I I had a nice conversation with somebody about this player, and uh, let's face it, this guy is a superstar. Uh, Also a superstar, Arda Okal from ESPN, and, and he actually asked to be part of the conversation for the random player of the day and said that he would bring some stats to go along with his appearance. So very much looking forward to that. And Ken Weeb at the bottom of the next hour, the Winnipeg Jets are rolling. And what happens with Pierre-Luc Dubois? Is he going to stay in Winnipeg long-term? And Josh Morrissey having the Norrissey-type season. That's all coming up on the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese in for Jeff. We'll be back in a few. Talk to you soon. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hour two of the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff. He is on assignment for the next two days. So lucky you get to put up with me. That should be fun for you. Hockey Day in Canada on Saturday, and we'll have Ron McLean on tomorrow at 1 o'clock as we'll tee up Hockey Day in Canada. All seven Canadian teams will be in action. And and, uh, just to get some news out of the way here, the Minnesota Wild will be scratching Matt Dumba tonight. Uh, It's not a health-related thing. Uh, Dean Evison said they had a good meeting, and he knows why he's sitting out. Uh, That is an interesting name to watch for ahead of the trade deadline. Joining me on the line, uh, one of my favorites, of course, uh, Canadian abroad, Arda Ocal from ESPN joins me now. Arda, how are you? I'm doing great. And obviously, since you're filling in for Jeff Merrick, I have to fill in for Greg Wyshynski. So I'm <laughs> glad to be here. I, I'm happy that you joined me. And and we were we were texting last night and found out that we have a lot more in common than we than we have uh, not in common, including um, almost matching five month old daughters. So uh, a very a very interesting time in both of our households. And um, I don't know about you, but I slept okay last night. How about yourself? <laughs> Shockingly, I had a decent sleep. Uh, you know that's at a premium. For anyone with two kids uh, listening right now, we all know that one plus one does not equal two as it pertains to children. So uh, I'm just lucky that we get a few hours here and there. Well, with two, two, you get to play man coverage. When you have two or more, then you're playing zone. That becomes a little bit more difficult. Um, And and you wanted to be a part of uh, our random player of the day conversation. So why don't we get that started? Um, Today's random player of the day is Gilbert Perot. The Buffalo Sabres forward, Hall of Famer, absolutely incredible career. And um, so I spoke with Scotty Bowman, who who had him uh, near the tail end well, when Scotty was coaching in Buffalo. And, and he told me he was the most talented, one of the most talented players that he's ever had, one of the most humble as well. And he spoke to Red Berenson a few weeks ago, and they talked about the Summit Series. And, and Gilbert Perot only played two games, I believe, and Red Berenson said... 
there's no way that he should have played two. He should have played a lot more and would have had a, a much bigger impact. And, and Scotty told me, he said, when I was coaching in Montreal, we tried everything to stop him and we couldn't. Um, a couple of other things that Scotty pointed out, and this was one of my favorites, because I asked him, I said, like, you know, what was he like off the ice? And he said, he was a quiet guy. But the one thing that stood out was that he loved singing and he used to sing Elvis Presley in the shower at the arena. And I, I thought there is no hockey story that is better than thinking of the, th- the thought of, of an NHL player singing Elvis Presley in the shower at the arena, especially for a quiet guy like him. And one of my favorite stories that, that Scotty told me was Scotty was coaching the Canada Cup team that had Gilbert Perot on it. And he actually had him practicing on a line with Wayne Gretzky and Guy Lafleur. And he ended up breaking his ankle and didn't end up participating in the tournament. But I can't even imagine the thought of Wayne Gretzky and Guy Lafleur on the same line as Gilbert Perot, who played all of his career in Buffalo, was a very impactful player, a Hall of Famer, like I mentioned. And Scotty said if he had played on a, a different team, like if he ever made his way to the Montreal Canadiens, we would be having an entirely different conversation about Gilbert Perot. Yeah, and, uh, first of all, I just want to say, uh, obviously, singing Elvis in the shower, what NHL player doesn't do that? Uh, that's, that's clear. Uh, second of all, so you, I, I, first of all, I, I love the random hockey player of the day where you just select someone at random and we just have random things about them. So I came prepared for this. Oh, by the way, very randomly, Red Berenson holds the NHL record for most goals in a game in a road game with six. Uh, I, I found that when I was doing the whole Tage Thompson, when Tage was really yes. on pace to maybe break Daryl Sittler's record uh, in, uh, in that one game that he had four goals in the first period. So Red Berenson has that record. Gilbert Perot, here is your very random Gilbert Perot statistic of the day. Gilbert Perot has the third most goals in the NHL on his actual birthday. So Gilbert Perot scored nine go- uh, eight goals in eight NHL games on his birthday. On November 13th, he scored eight goals. He was a goal-a-game guy on his birthday. And he's third on the list, uh, third to only Gretzky, who had 10 and 10, and Phil Esposito, who had 10 and 9. So forever immortalized on his birthday as a goal-a-game guy, Gilbert Perot. There's your random stat of the day. I love it. I love it. And it's probably because he was ready to go out after. So he's like, I got to have a good game to justify (laughs) going out afterwards. Um, Yeah, I remember my dad talking to me about Gilbert Perot because you mentioned the birthday. So my dad and, and he are one day apart in terms of their birthday. And... My dad always told me, he's like, he's like, I always loved watching Gilbert Perot play. Um, and the other thing that Scotty Bowman pointed out was how good of a skater he was and how he was able to control the game in such a small arena. Like, the odd in Buffalo was was small in comparison to other NHL arenas and and just the way that he controlled the game was super super impressive so um that was our random player of the day thank you very much to benny and benji de france who sent that one in uh i was told that uh, both were big fans of gilbert perot and they wanted to uh to hear him on on this segment of the show so thank you for that and that that leads us into our conversation and and your bold second half prediction for espn was that the buffalo sabers are going to make the playoffs. And, you know, for my money, Arda, they are 
probably the most fun team to watch just because I honestly never know what to expect. Like, are they going to score six tonight? Are they going to allow six? Is Tage Thompson going to have another hat trick? Like, what is it about the Sabres that when you look at them, you just say, I, I just have this feeling that they're going to make the playoffs here. They, they're, they're clicking as a team, but like you said, they're the most exciting team to watch in the NHL. Obviously, Connor McDavid on most nights is the most exciting individual player, but there are many days where Tage Thompson rivals that, just what he does on the ice. Like, in terms of that jump-out-of-your-seat factor, you see some of Tage Thompson's goals, and you're like, how on earth did he do that? Like, just he's so good with the puck, and he has silky mitts, like just incredible uh, player, and... I think with the, the Sabres, the way they're going right now, the young players are clicking. Rasmus Dahlin is having a breakout year. Tage Thompson is continuing to score at the pace since last February when things really started to turn around for him. They're only six points out of a playoff spot. They have three games in hand on Florida and the Islanders who are ahead of them in the standings. And for as much as the Florida Panthers might be a team that people are looking at that are on a decline and you know still challenging for a wild card spot, let's not... Uh, disrespect them uh, to a large degree here. But when I look at the Buffalo Sabres, I have a lot of optimism for that team uh, to be able to make the postseason this season. So my my only concern with them is I, I still think, I, like, the goaltending is an issue. Like, we'll see what happens with Eric Comrie now that he's back from injury and, and Craig Anderson's there and, and Uka Pekalukkanen is there as well. But I still mm-hmm. worry about the goaltending. And I'm not... I still think they need another defenseman. They need a, a stay-at-home defenseman that can play with either Darlene or Owen Power and really kind of solidify that back end. And maybe they do make a, a deal in that regard, but those are my concerns with Buffalo. It's just I just don't know if their style of play, which is a lot of run and gun, is really conducive to, to getting into the playoffs. I mean, you can maybe get into the playoffs, but after that, I'm not so sure that it's going to work. No, well, first of all, we should mention here that the Colorado Avalanche didn't have the best goaltending throughout their entire Stanley Cup run either, and sure. they outscored their problems on many nights. And uh, and and in fact, Darcy Kemper was, I think, it was, he was the fourth goaltender in NHL history to be on the ice to win the game that secured the Stanley Cup for the team and not start for that team the following season. So, like, it's just a crazy goaltending situation, but. You're right. Like Craig Anderson is a, is a feel good story because he's 41 years old playing in the NHL and he has the best save percentage of all three of the goaltenders you mentioned, you know, what's, what's going to be, uh, what will we make of Eric Comrie and his return? Uh, you know, there's a lot of optimism about Uko Pekka like you said, uh, will he uh, mature and develop into the goaltender that the Sabres will want? Uh, maybe even in a starting position that remains to be seen, obviously, but um I like your idea, you know, like UPL, as they call him, is 23 years old. So there's still room for development there. But I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I have been thinking of the idea. That's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting thought. Should the, will the Sabres deal for a goaltender? And there may be some on the market or, or some wanting to move to a playoff contending team. And if the Sabres continue their ways, then maybe that will be the thought. But this could also be a several-year process. I don't think Sabres fans will necessarily be burning it all down if the Sabres miss the playoffs. I think they've seen a lot of optimism from the team this season already. So I don't know if that needs to be rushed necessarily. I don't think I don't, I, I'm not saying that uh, uh, the calls won't be entertained if they come in or calls won't be placed, especially as we approach 
trade deadline in a couple months, but like, I don't know if it's more of a long-term thought here or if, you know what, let's just see what we can do, uh, Get it, if we can get a goaltender that is reasonable uh, and, and, and will bolster uh, us between the pipes, then maybe we do make a run. But I'm not sold on that idea quite yet. Arda Ocal from ESPN joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. And, and I, I look at the Sabres and say, Everything from here on out is gravy because we've seen the development of Tage Thompson into a superstar. Uh, Rasmus Dahlin is living up to the bill of being the first overall pick from back in 2018. And, and he has taken his game to an entirely different level. Alex Tuck has been a great story. Like this team has five players with 40 points or more. And offensively, I think they're really good. I just think that they look at it and go, we're not in a rush. Like, if the right deal comes along, then we'll make it. That makes sense for not only our present, but as well our future. And if that's there, then then that's fine. But if not, I just don't think they go out and... I don't think they panic here, I guess, is what I'm saying. I agree. I don't think, I don't think there is a sense of panic with the Buffalo Sabres right now. I know that there's been the long playoff drought... And if you look at it in totality, then yes, that you could understand why fans or even people who work with the Sabres would be concerned, but there's optimism there now. It sort of feels like the devils, right? Like there's just, there's just optimism in those two franchises that things are turning around and there are some really dynamic and interesting pieces that are going to lead those franchises into the future. Let me throw this at you, Matt. Case Thompson could, I mean, it's an outside chance. Obviously, Connor McDavid has been shooting a lot more, and he's leading the way. At one point, I thought he was going to go 50 and 50s. At 38, uh, the 50 and 50 is out of reach, but he could still get to, say, a 60 or, or, or some interest, like some incredible plateau. I'm not discounting Tage Thompson making a run, though. Like, he's only, what, five goals behind? I think he's at 32, and Pasta's at 35. Yep. Like, Tage Thompson will be in the mix. In my opinion, Tage Thompson will remain in the, in the Rocket Richard mix until the very end of the season. And if he were to surpass both of those guys for whatever reason, I wouldn't be absolutely shocked by it at all. Well, I, I like 60 goals is well within the realm of possibility here for Tage Thompson. Like that's, that feels like that's going to happen. And we could see, I mean, we could see as many as, as three 60 goal scorers. And we, you know, we saw Austin Matthews reach that plateau last year. And I I do, and and this is kind of just an overall picture thing, but I do like that there is more goals in the NHL. I do like that. No lead is safe anymore. And, and the, and the Sabres are kind of the, the poster boy for, for that narrative because no lead is safe when they're playing good or bad. They can give up a four goal lead just as much as they can come back from a four goal deficit. And, <laughs> and that to me is why, like, and I think we're on the same page here. Any given night, I'm, if the Sabres are playing, I'm probably watching that game. Yeah, me too. It, 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 as, a, as an entire team, all the players, all the storylines, like you've been mentioning the names, they are uh, a destination team. Them and McDavid really are, are, are one and two for me right now in terms of entertainment value. For sure. Um, just kind of moving on to the Atlantic division. And, and speaking of the Sabres, like it was, there was this thought in the offseason because, you know, Buffalo, they, they played really well at the end of last year. So everybody was expecting them to get better. Uh, Ottawa had the off season where, you know, they locked in, they locked in some forwards to long-term deals. They signed Claude Giroux and everybody's like, Oh my goodness, they're going to be able to score goals and they're going to get into the playoffs. And, and Detroit had a really good off season and Detroit's going to be a lot better. And yet 
we're past the halfway point in the season and the top four teams in the Atlantic are still um, Boston, Toronto, Tampa, and Florida, even though they've been not very good, are still there. Is there, like, aside from Buffalo, because you do believe that they're going to make the playoffs, but, like, are you shocked at, at how poorly things have gone in Detroit and Ottawa this year? Ottawa, yes. I, I, there was a lot of optimism there, right? I mean, you and I both had been talking about this team when they brought in the different pieces. The uh, Debrinkit was a huge one. I'm still surprised that he's an auto senator, to be yeah. honest with you. Uh, the way that it went down in the offseason uh, uh, with Claude Giroux and Cam Talbot and, and the other pieces there, uh, I am surprised that it uh, did not hit the ground running in the nation's capital. Uh, but... Listen, I, I, here's the thing. Like, the, you were talking about the Atlantic Division as a whole, right? I, the reason I'm not necessarily surprised about the Atlantic isn't more so like, oh, the, the Boston Bruins are having a historic year, right? They're setting NHL records, et cetera. Uh, I don't think many people saw this degree of success from the Bruins coming. Uh, I think it, it, it's a pleasant surprise for Bruins fans, and, and everything seemed, is clicking there. Uh, I think that... One team that is benefiting from this, honestly, is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Because there are a lot of teams in the NHL right now that are grabbing headlines. They're either exceeding expectations or they're not meeting expectations. And there are a lot of teams that were not playoff contenders last year where they missed the playoffs that are now in great positions to make the playoffs. I look at teams like the Kraken. The Vegas Golden Knights, a little bit of an outlier. People expected them to make the playoffs last year, but they're in great position. The Winnipeg Jets, look at them and what they're doing in the Central, right? So there's a lot of teams. The Devils. Like just, there's a lot of teams that are grabbing headlines. And I'll just tell you this from, uh, from somebody who covers hockey in the United States. Obviously, you are in Toronto, so like in the Toronto hockey bubble, like you see this every day, and obviously that's a main point of concern. I don't think I've – and I'm not saying because they're a bad team. They're not. The, the Maple Leafs are a fantastic team. They're a great team. I'm saying in terms of headlines and attention grabbing, I can't remember a time that I've worked here that we've just spoken less about the Maple Leafs. And again, it's not because – they aren't worth talking about. It's because there's so many other teams that are generating so many headlines. And I feel like that might be a great position for the Leafs because people aren't like around here. Anyway, we're not talking about 1967 and 2004 and playoff futility and blah, blah, blah. Like that. that's not being, that's not headlines right now. Like we're talking about teams that are surprising. We're talking about uh, uh, the Bruins and their historic run. We're talking about the devils and their incredible uh, road record. We're talking about, uh, teams like the Buffalo Sabres that are surprising on the ice. So I just thought that that was an interesting uh, lens for this season so far, at least from from my perspective, being a guy, a Canadian in America that's covering hockey. Yeah, it is interesting about Toronto because, like, I mean, Austin Matthews isn't in, in the 60-goal chase, right? And, and that was a big, big storyline. And I think, I think, well, the narrative coming in was how is this team going to adjust with two new goalies. And I mean, it started out really well and then Samsonov got hurt, but Matt Murray was fine in, in relief. And now it seems like it's flipped where Samsonov is a little bit more reliable. But again, like you mentioned, like this, I, I also think the headlines aren't there because they're not the same team. They don't, they're not the team that scores a ton of goals like we had seen in the past. They're much more responsible defensively. They've managed to weather the storm when they had 
upwards of five of their top 10 defensemen in the organization out of the lineup. And so I think, I think as we get closer to playoffs, we're going to start to hear some things because the Leafs and Tampa are on a collision course for a first round meeting again, because I don't think either of those teams is catching Boston. I think that's, I think that's pretty safe to say, but I also don't think that Florida or Buffalo can catch them either. So they're on a collision course and I'd be very curious to see what the narrative is here at that point, because there's going to be talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs and another first round exit because they're playing the Tampa Bay lightning again. But remember the last time they faced each other, it came down to one goal, right? Nick Paul scored two goals in game seven. Morgan Riley had to beat Vasilevsky with like one of the most pinpoint accurate laser beams that you've seen in recent memory, right? Like that was like, one of the most well-placed shots in the, in the entire postseason yep. last year. Right. So like, that's the, that's the degree at which they were working with. And, but again, it was one goal, right? Like they got to game seven. Uh, they were very competitive in the series. And I keep saying this, like in a vacuum, that was not a series to be upset about in a vacuum. If you're looking at it strictly from that one playoff series, can't be upset at the Leafs performance uh, overall. They got to game seven, brought it down to one goal against the reigning cup champs. Uh, they were competitive throughout. But you, no one looks at it in a vacuum, right? Like, are, are any Leafs fans looking at it in a vacuum? Are any sports fans looking at it in a vacuum? Probably not, right, Matt? Like, they're looking at years and years of past performance and, and baking that into their opinions uh, when they're thinking about that series. There's always the joke about um... – People wanting the Leafs as pallbearers so they can let them down one more time when they die. That is the constant joke here, and I get it. I 100% get it because I feel like I would want the same thing if I was in their position. Um, uh, actually, b- uh, before we move on to something else, uh, Steven Stamkos, 500 goals last night, and I had this conversation with Elliot Friedman. Like When we look back on the, on the career of Steven Stamkos, it is one – of a player that endured. He, he dealt with a broken leg, a pretty nasty one. He had blood clots. He had core muscle surgery that cost him, you know, basically a, a playoff run. And he was able to lift the Stanley cup, but like there were times where Steven Stamkos could have said, nah, I'm good. I'm I've made my money and I'm not going to continue on this path. But you know, there's been a, a resurgence in his career and, and Anthony Stewart pointed it out last night. Like we would be talking about Steven Stamkos in the Gretzky chase had he not missed all the time that he did. And I tend to agree with that. He also had his Paul Korea moment, right? Where he came back for that one shift. Yeah. Scored the, the goal. The Stanley cup final. Like he had, he had the iconic moment. He has the Stanley cups. Uh, one of the great, uh, the great captains of our era. Uh, the thing, I think you're right. The injuries just preclude us from speaking of him as much and as highly as, the other players of his generation uh, that we revere so much, but he deserves to be celebrated. Random stat of the day for you. He is the Steven Stamkos is the eighth player in NHL history to record a hat trick on the same game that he got his 500th career NHL goal. And the last person to do that uh, was one of my favorite players growing up. And maybe a lot of people listening to this in Toronto as well, 2006, Matt Sundy. Yes. I remember that night against the Calgary Flames. There it is. Overtime winner, the slap shot over the left side, the catching side of Mika Kiprasov. See, the things that I remember are so ridiculous. 
I can't yeah. remember what I ate for breakfast yesterday, but I remember that. Go figure. I mean, I guess that's yeah, what happens yeah. when you become a parent too, right? You don't remember day to day what happens, but I remember stupid stuff like that. Um, but I definitely remember the career of Matt Sundin and, and uh, yeah, Stumpy and all of your favorite, Ty Domi and all of your favorite Leafs players. Yes, oh, definitely remember all of that. <laughs> are of the things that I remember about those teams, I will never forget, and they are still heartbreaking to this point in time. Um, okay, so, so you, talked about, um, you talked about random stats, and the, the one, like, I love anomalies in the NHL because I, I find them, especially with elite teams, I find them fascinating. And the two things, there's two teams that really stand out to me, and, and they are, uh, one is leading their division, that's the Vegas Golden Knights, and the other team is second in their division and climbing, and that's the New Jersey Devils. Both of those teams ha- are one game over 500 at home, but their road records are insane. Like, the Devils' road record, they won 18 road games to this point. I th- I want to say Vegas is 15-3-2, and, and and the Devils are something like 18-2-1 and one on the road. Like the Vegas one especially makes no sense because you think that being in Vegas, they would have an advantage because teams coming in. I mean, it's Vegas. Every time I think of Vegas, I think of the movie, the hangover and I, and we know what happened on that night. Not that teams get into that much trouble, but I mean, it's, it would be an advantage. Can you explain why both of these teams are so good at on the road and very, very average at home? And how does that, how does that hinder them in the playoffs especially if they have home ice advantage might not be such an advantage after all. I, uh, I, I don't have an answer for you on that one. <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> an anomaly, I, Like you said, uh, I will say this though. I do think the Vegas flu uh, has subsided. Yeah. I think uh, that teams have found a cure and that is just, let's just not go out on the strip. It's a business. Trip. Game, it, I don't know. it became like, a business I, trip is what yeah, happened. It I feels think, like, right. I think the newness of it uh, is gone. Uh, listen, like people are people, uh, what they do on their off time is their business. Uh, I will say that I think the, the aura or the stigma of teams, uh, really suffering when going to Vegas, uh, that has, that has ended. I believe now, now Vegas is just another stop on the calendar. Uh, maybe a little bit more excitement because there's more to do in Vegas, but it's not like to the degree that it was in the first or second season when, uh, you know, you heard all the stories of, you know, Vegas flew this and whatever teams were doing, et cetera. So uh, for the Devils, like you mentioned, uh, 17 wins in the first 20 road games, uh, that's an NHL record. And now they're at 18 and they just, they just don't stop losing. Like it, the, the, the road, it, it's funny, like the Devils in Seattle have had like very similar seasons in that like October, November were excellent. December was, one to forget, and then January, right back where they left off in November, right? So it's almost like they just had a blip during the holidays, and they're just right back to their winning ways and their indominant fashion, and everything seems to be clicking. So I don't know if I have a concern based on the road record going into the postseason. I just think it's a byproduct of the team being very good and performing well. And if anything, if you want to take anything away from it, it's optimism. Great. I think it's a great thing that a team is performing well on the road. I think it's much easier to fix struggles at home than it is struggles on the road, right? Like if you're good on the road, well, you have more challenges on the road as an athlete, right? You're traveling, you're not sleeping at home. It's not comfortable as it is at home. It's not as familiar as it is at home. You know, like 
there's there's a lot more to deal with on the road. So I would say that it's probably easier to to to, to make changes at home so that uh, things get better at home. So the Devils, I think, and the Golden Knights, like you said, are in a great position. Yeah, they, you're 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 very accurate in that assessment. I, I sometimes getting away from home is just better. Like there's a lot like we don't we don't talk about hockey players and the human element a lot. We we just think of them as these superhuman beings and and they're very good at what they do, clearly. But they're human, too. Like they have, you know, some of them have young families or some of them, you know, are are in new marriages or whatever. Like it doesn't matter. There's like they have stuff going on away from the rink as well. And I think we just tend to forget about that a lot. Yeah, exactly. Like at the end of the day, like you said, these these are human beings that are going through same trials and tribulations that we all are in, in, in many circumstances, right? Like I bet you that there's some NHL player, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but there's some NHL player that is about to go on a road trip and they also have a five-month-old like you and I do, Matt, and they're just like, you know what? I love my family. I love my kids. But man, I get to get a good night's sleep on yep. the road for once. Do we get okay. that? Is that in our contract? Do we get to get away and get to <laughs> why, sleep? And... Why is why, why does Merrick get to travel and you don't? You're the one with the five month old. What's yeah. going on here, Merrick? Come on. That's a that's Come a on, good, man. That's a good question. I should actually ask about that. I mean, I think you should. I think I. Uh, no, I'm not going to disparage Owen Sound. I'm going to leave Owen Sound alone in this conversation. <laughs> um, okay, one last thing before we let you go, and you've been very generous with your time, as uh, as I do appreciate that. Um, Connor McDavid said he would love to see three on three overtime for ten minutes and get rid of the shootout. I'm fine with this idea. I actually prefer this because I'm already done with the shootout. I like I like nice goals just as much as the next person, but the shootout has become kind of boring. Um, I would love to see overtime for, for 10 minutes, three on three. But at that moment, if we're getting rid of the shootout, are you okay with ties? I, I, uh, let, I will answer that in a second. I just want to quickly say uh, for anyone listening, like, what, does this guy hate Merrick? No, he's been fantastic <laughs> to me my entire career. Uh, he's given me a lot of great advice, especially early in my career. I love the guy, which is why I'm chirping the guy while he's not here behind his back because I wouldn't do it to his face. Uh, so <laughs> on that note, Matt, please feel free to invite me whenever you're hosting the show and we will be our own uh, M versus W. That That's would be great. it. That's um, it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm in favor of it. I think the first thing I want to mention is, uh, and I think everyone already knows this, when Connor McDavid says it, it carries a lot more weight. Mm-hmm. So this is a big reason why we are discussing this at length is because Connor McDavid made a strong opinion about something in the league. And for him to say, hey, I want to see 10 minutes, three on three overtime. I mean, how many, let's be honest, second for second, pound for pound, minute for minute. Like if you were to dissect the level of excitement that you feel in a hockey game, an NHL game, right? Overall, like, like it, like excitement per second, if that was a stat, Three on three overtime is high on that list. The top Whether of the list, Whether you like actually. it or not. Yeah, t- regular top season, of the it's list. the top of the list. Just overall, just like look at it from a totality and then break it down. Like how excited are you when you are watching a three on three overtime by the second, mm-hmm. per second, per 60? I bet you that number is at the top of the list of many people listening to this right now, or it's very high on the list. So for that reason, if hockey is entertainment and we are watching it to have fun because we love hockey, all of us, uh, everyone listening to this show does, you do, I do, Jeff does, we all do. So if we, will, if we love hockey, why wouldn't we want maximum entertainment from hockey? So if we get to an overtime and we get bummed out by a shootout and we don't think it's the great 
uh, it's a great way to end the game. And yes, there is a piece here that has to be fair for the players, et cetera, and exertion and, and, and all of that. And that needs to be sorted out. I completely understand all of that as well. From an entertainment perspective, why wouldn't you want to give more entertainment to the fans that are paying money to watch the game? Yeah, and, and for me, I mean, I, I, the tie thing is something that is at least part of the conversation. But also, if you have 10 minutes of three-on-three, there's a very good chance that somebody's going to score because guys are going to get tired, they're going to get caught out of position, and there's a lot of ice to cover off for, for three guys on each side. I just feel like we're... We're going to have the excitement. We're not going to have to worry as much about ties. And if you get a few ties here and there, so what? The entertainment factor was there. And frankly, if you got a full 10 minutes of overtime at three on three, you absolutely got your money's worth. Exactly. I'm with you 100%. Well, I'm glad we solved that because you and I are both on the same page here. We don't. See, we solve the world's problems. When you and I are on the M versus A show, we solve the world's problems, Matt. Oh, I got an even better That's one. We, we can do. we can call it the MO. I like that. The MO. What's your MO? Yes. Oh, it's already a better name than M versus W. Come on. Oh. They have like a 10-year head start, but who cares? Yeah. Okay? This is today. This is 2023. This is new. This is the MO. Graphics department, let's get a logo going. I am all in. The MO. Let's go. I like a fired up Arda Ocal. I'm pretty sure we're going to do this again. <laughs> hey, Arda, thanks for spending a lot of your uh, afternoon with me here. Really appreciate it, buddy, and we'll talk soon. You're the best. Thanks again. There he goes, Arda Ocal from ESPN, one of my favorite people. Canadian abroad doing big things with ESPN. We got to take a break, but when we come back, Ken Weeb of Sportsnet will join us. The Jets roll into Toronto. They've won eight of their last 10, and they look good. But are they going to look better? What are they looking for ahead of the trade deadline? Is it another forward? I think they're looking for defense. But that's just me. Ken we will give his thoughts when we come back. Matt Marchesian for Jeff Merrick on the Jeff Merrick Show. We'll be back in a few. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the Jeff Merrick Show. Sorry, I was texting with uh, Jonathan Davis. We were commiserating over bad bets from last night and the other and the other night. Welcome back, Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese, the final segment of the show, as we're joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Uh, Kenny, how are you today? Matty, uh, doing tremendous. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Sorry was, about those bad bets. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I live and die by the bad bets. I, I don't I don't lose my salary over it, but I still get sour when I lose any kind of money because I'm cheap. Um, so <laughs> so I, I do get pissed off when I get I'm very happy when I win big and I'm very pissed off when I lose like 20 bucks. So uh, it's the way it's the way of the gambling world. Um if you bet a lot on the Winnipeg Jets this year, you absolutely would have won some money. And uh, I'm just to say that I'm shocked at how good this team has played this year is an understatement. But eight and two in their last ten, they roll into Toronto, and I mean they stumbled a little bit against uh, Montreal um, by a little bit. They stumbled a lot against Montreal the other night. But you know, um, I was talking to Elliot 
about Connor Hellebuck and just the, the place that he is in this year comparatively to last year. Is it too simplistic to say he's just in a better place and that's why he's been better? Or is it a combination of that with the addition of Rick Bonus behind the bench that has really made the difference in his play this year? Yeah, it's a couple things, Maddie. I mean, obviously, first and foremost, Rick Bonus uh, talked about it with Borney and Nick uh, yesterday. The first call that Rick Bonus made after he was named head coach was to Connor Hellebuck saying, you know what? I'm going to make life easier for you in, in terms of making it more predictable and, you know, minimizing the high danger, grade A scoring chances against. The Jets have done a good job in that area. But on the flip side, too, I mean, something people don't know if they weren't paying close attention. Last year, Connor got COVID in late August, like right at the worst time when you're ramping up your preparations for the season. So I think it kind of knocked him down a little bit and kind of got off to a bit of a slower start. And, you know, Connors also was a first-time parent last year. So, you know, sleep patterns and other things were probably there was an adjustment there. And then the losing obviously makes it very difficult for a person as competitive as Connors. So uh, he had a great summer of training. I suspect that he was going to have a strong start, but uh, he's back to playing at an elite level. And, you know, there have been a couple hiccups for the team in front of him. But for the most part, he has been exceptional but he's one of several stars who have really been shining for the Jets. But to me, Hellbuck is the clear-cut MVP. And, you know, elite-level goaltending can cover up a few sins. And even though the Jets are getting better at defending, they still have uh, a ways to go if they want to go on a, you know, four-round run uh, this spring, that's for sure. I mean, all you had to tell me was that he was a first-time parent, and I, I totally understand exactly what he's going through. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to blame my performance on my daughter as well. I mean, his at a totally different level, but... I like the I like the thought process there. Um, you know, we talk about Rick Bonus and and you know making Connor Hellebuck's life easier, and you know we've we've heard the stories about what Rick Bonus has done with Victor Hedman and with Miro Heiskanen in Dallas, and now his latest project, Josh Josh Morrissey, is having a he's already set a career high in points with 49. He's on pace to shatter the Jets record for most points by a defenseman in a season, and honestly, Kenny. I didn't have Josh Morrissey 80-point defenseman on my bingo card for this year, but this really does feel like the Rick Bonus effect. Yeah, it's certainly been helpful. I think we've used the word empowering a lot when it comes to talking about uh, the impact Rick Bonus has had. And when he talked with Josh, too, like Josh was a high-scoring defenseman in the Western Hockey League, mm-hmm. but there wasn't a ton of opportunity on the power play side when they had guys like Dustin Bufflin, Jacob Truba, Tyler Myers... Uh, all playing ahead of him uh, uh, in those roles. So, I mean, he was asked when he came into the NHL, he played with Dustin Bufflin a bit at the beginning and then became a shutdown guy with Jacob Truba. But, I mean, he's just kind of been unlocking what used to be normal. This this was normal for Josh, Josh Morrissey, you know, coming up the ranks. It just was a matter of kind of unlocking that potential at the NHL level. Uh, his skating is elite, his edge work, and... You know, he's a guy who's always pushing himself to be better at all areas. So when a coach comes in and says, I want you to be, you know, I want you to be in the top 10 of the Norris Trophy discussion, and, you know, you previously have a career. Okay, well, now I have a green light. Let me get involved. And the thing that's been most impressive to me, Maddie, Josh Morrissey has added that offensive layer without sacrificing. You know, a lot of guys who put up 80 points aren't exactly. Uh, you know, very responsible in their own end. And that's not to say that all of them aren't, but many of them aren't. So to me, the fact that Morrissey still faces the the top level of competition on the opponent, 
on a nightly basis and has still found a way to, you know, put together an all-world season on the back end. That's what's impressed me most. And then the other part, too, we've talked a lot, and you talked about it with Elliot again. I mean, the removal of the captaincy for Blake Wheeler, that put a little bit of an additional – it allowed more people to be involved. But, I mean, as one of the you know, returning alternate captains, Josh Morrissey has really taken on more of a leadership role – uh, this year as well, and you know, I think it's one of the reasons why I think he's probably going to be the next captain of the Winnipeg Jets. I don't think they'll name him this year, but I think the next captain of the Winnipeg Jets is Josh Morrissey, and it's not just because he's been able to elevate from being a first-pairing defenseman to a bona fide number one. I'm glad that you brought up the fact that his defensive game hasn't hasn't been hindered at all because I do agree. A lot of guys, when you know the focus becomes a little bit more on the offensive side, that the defensive side does tend to take a hit the one thing that i've always appreciated and a couple of things about josh morrissey one they have him listed at six feet there's no way he's six feet um so i always say like if you're a smaller defenseman and you're coming up like watch watch josh morrissey play because that was a high scorer in junior and he's really adjusted to the nhl level i mean he's been in the, the league for a while but he he changed his game so that he could be a big part of the Winnipeg Jets. The one thing that I've always appreciated about Josh Morrissey is his ability to block shots. I think that is so underrated about his game. And part of the reason why, like, you know, why he's been so good and why he's been able to stay in the lineup, uh, you know, for years, even as a younger defenseman was because he was responsible defensively. He's a hell of a shot blocker and that doesn't get talked about a lot. No, for sure. And his ability to check with his stick would be, I would also, yeah. he's incredibly competitive, but he isn't a big bruiser in terms of laying out open ice hits like his D partner was doing for years and still is doing now as the captain of the New York Rangers. So to me, I mean, he's just such a competitive person. I mean, he's very smart. His hockey IQ is through the roof. And he's he's just a guy who knows how to make himself incredibly valuable. And um, that's the thing even you know, Paul Maurice used to talk about. You know, People wondered how his defensive game would translate to the NHL. Well, that became a priority for him when he you know, broke into the league, and now he's just kind of getting back to that player he once was. But for sure, I mean, his willingness to get in front of shots and his durability is also something that's been uh, an exceptional thing. His consistency, I mean, there's only been one stretch during the 46 games where he even went consecutive games without a point, and that was something I know you were talking about Stammer uh, earlier on in the show. When Steven Stamkos was in town, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, I was asking about Josh Morrissey, and he's like, man, it's, it's, it's really hard to do for a forward, let alone a defenseman, to provide that level of consistency in terms of your offensive game. Uh, so that's been another really big thing for him, and, and he's a guy who plays through a lot of pain, and that, that's what makes his durability uh, even more impressive to me. Ken Wee from Sportsnet, my guest here on the Jeff Merrick Show. And, um, you know, you talked about the future here in Winnipeg and Josh Morrissey is going to be the captain uh, eventually you think one guy that I think about for the future and and I wonder if this year has changed anything is Pierre-Luc Dubois he's having a career season and and the team is winning he's a restricted free agent at the end of this season where do we see Pierre-Luc Dubois's future is it as a Winnipeg Jet long term or do you think it's still in the back of his mind that I'm still looking to go elsewhere regardless of the success we may or may not have here. Yeah, it's still it's that's the uh it's the multi-million dollar question uh, around these parts and around the NHL for sure. Uh when you look back to how it ended in in Columbus, a lot of unanswered questions, uh, many of which he didn't want to get into during his, you know, return visits to Columbus and and everything else. Uh so for me, I think we talk about the bonus effect a lot. I mean, 
I think if you're Pierre-Luc Dubois, you have a coach that really believes in you. He's given you every opportunity to grow into it, you know, whether you want to call it a top-line center, if you want to call it 1A and 1B uh, with Mark Shifley, they have incredible depth down the middle. But he has this incredible you know, chemistry with Kyle Connor, who is a perennial 40 to you know, potentially going to be a 50-goal guy despite a bit of a slow start in that department this year. There would be a lot of things you know, in favor of Winnipeg and sticking around, but I, I think the thing that's been hard to purely gauge is it's, it's hard. Pierre-Luc Dubois is a very much a live-in-the-moment kind of guy, and he hasn't really been dropping a whole lot of hints. I mean, obviously we know the Pat Brisson comments from the summertime, and when Pierre-Luc Dubois talked about those, he said, well, yeah, I mean, he sort of clarified that it was a, my client would like to play for the Canadians one day, and yes, that's a, that's a dream of most French-Canadian players, so... Um, I, I think that one thing that has changed, and sorry about the long-winded nature, it just it, it's such a complex issue, but if you're Pierre-Luc Dubois, the chances of you signing long-term are probably greater last year than, or this year than they were last year because of the change in the environment. Um, so you have a coach that believes in you, you're getting top-line minutes, you are playing with the potential 40-50 to 50 goal scorer, you could hit 90 points for the first time in your career, I mean, there'd be a lot of check marks in the Winnipeg Jets basket, but ultimately it will come down to, you know, whether or not that eighth year means something to Pierre-Luc Dubois or if he thinks that he wants to go shorter term with the uncertainty of the salary cap and maybe try to make up that money later on. But what we know about players is that they often don't want to leave years on the table either. So uh, what we know for sure is that they're going to enjoy uh, having Dubois in the lineup, and I would think some of these things will become a little bit more clear in the off season, but... I mean, the player's right is to, you know, sign a one-year deal or, or file for arbitration and, and then walk into unrestricted free agency. But uh, only Pierre-Luc Dubois really knows for sure what, what he wants to do longer term, I guess, which I wish I had a better answer, but that's the best way I can put it right now. Um, Nick Ehlers, for my money, is one of the more underrated players in the league, and, and it looks like he hasn't missed a beat since he returned from injury. How much does his return to form maybe have the Jets saying, well, maybe a top six forward is not necessarily what we need because Nick Ehlers is back and playing well. Maybe we need to solidify the bottom end of the lineup. Or where do you where do you kind of rank the importance of Nick Ehlers to this forward group? Considering they had a lot of success while he was out, but they just have a different dynamic when he's in the lineup and playing well. Yeah, well said, Matty. I mean, uh, Nick Ehlers is one of the most dynamic players in the National Hockey League, and He's been an important member of the Jets for a long time. And, I mean, he missed 36 games and hasn't missed a beat uh, at all, which has really helped, you know, extend their depth in terms of their offensive uh, capabilities. Uh, I still think there, there will be some, you know, I think they're going to they're gonna look at all, all options. I, you know, I know you guys are talking about Timo, Timo Meyer, and obviously there's a connection with Nikolai Ehlers there as well. I do think that he would be a guy that would be on the radar also. But at the same time, I think that maybe an Ivan Barbashev is a guy who I've talked about a lot. I think he would give that dynamic that can be more of a middle six forward that plays with some edge and can also give you some offense. And at the same time, I know you guys are also talking about Jonathan Taves. I mean, I do think that, that Taves would be open to Winnipeg. Uh, is it the number one priority for either the player or the team? I don't think so, but I think there are some elements there that would help uh, on, a lot of, on a lot of levels. I could see Jonathan Taves really meshing well with Mark Shifley. Um, I do think they're going to explore all elements and kind of follow the, the Colorado Avalanche model and, you know, where they didn't necessarily take the biggest swing, but the guys that they did, they did pick up added to a bunch of the needs, whereas Josh Manson filled the top four role 
Archery Lekkonen filled in in the top six or middle six, depending on where you want to put it. And then you got a guy like Andrew Cogliano. So I would I would think that the checklist, they may go more in terms of quantity and filling roles, but I also do think that a big swing like a Timo Meyer or even a Bull Horvat would be something the Jets consider as well. Just given the uncertainty of the future and knowing the urgency of, of having four players and four core players whose contracts are could become free unrestricted free agents in the summer of 2024. I got about a minute and a half here, so I'll keep this question brief. Um, when it comes to the deadline, like you mentioned the forwards, is the main priority though adding some depth on the back end here, or maybe if they can, even a top four type guy? Yeah, it's a great question. And what I would say, that'll probably be dependent on how Neil Pionk plays in the next 20 games or so, Maddie. I mean, He's had some ups and downs this year. There's no doubt about that. But he's sort of been rounding more into form in the last little while here, I would say. Maybe the odd hiccup. But I think he's sort of finding his health and finding his legs. So, to me, if Pionk, there haven't been many times in the last two two to three years where Morrissey and Pionk have both been playing at a high, high-end level at the same time. So, I think if they can find that kind of a balance on that front, I don't know that a top four becomes necessarily as big a priority. I think they'd maybe like to add a little bit more bite, but you're also going to see tonight Billy Hanel is going to probably be back in the lineup again or stay in the lineup even after a bit of a tough go in Montreal. They have some internal candidates with Hanel and Sandberg. Would you prefer some additional experience? Perhaps. But to me, I still think they're trying to augment that forward group. And, you know, if they get a defenseman, I would think it's more of a third-pairing guy that, you know, if you had to bump him up into the second pair, you would. I don't think that Jacob Chikrin would be on the – I don't think they're in the sweepstakes for Chikrin. But again, I mean, the thing with Kevin Sheveldayoff, as he showed us back in 2018, nobody knew Paul Stastny was available, and all of a sudden he was the second-line center of the Winnipeg Jets and waived his no-trade clause. So uh, I would say probably expect the unexpected, though we're going to do our best to speculate all the way up to March 3rd. It'll be a very fun, fun time ahead of there. I'm very curious to see what Winnipeg does because they're good and they've got the opportunity to be a lot better if they make uh, a couple of shrewd moves here. And I don't think that Kevin Sheveldayoff will be very shy at this point, seeing how well the team has played. Kenny, thanks as always for taking some time for me today. Really appreciate it, buddy. My pleasure, Matty. Have a great day and uh, thanks for having me, my man. There he goes. Ken Weeb, writer for Sportsnet, covers the Winnipeg Jets. And, you know, with Connor Hellebuck, the way he's playing right now, Josh Morrissey playing at a Norris-type level, and with that forward group, we talk about Dubois, we talk about um, Shifley and and Wheeler and Ehlers and Connor. That's a significant group up front. I'd be curious to see where they do end up going to add because, like I said, the Winnipeg Jets could make some noise. Rick Bonus has had some success in this league last time I checked. And lately... The way this team has been going, I think we can put another notch in Rick Bonus's belt in the Winnipeg Jets as they get set to take on the Toronto Maple Leafs tonight. Thank you to all the guests that joined us today. Elliot Friedman, who joins us every day at 12.05, unless he's covering something and then tells us last minute. He will join us tomorrow as well. Um, and also a bit of thank you to Ian Mendez from The Athletic, Art Cal from ESPN, and of course, Ken Weed, who you just heard from Sportsnet. That'll do it for the Jeff Merrick Show today. Matt Marchese in for Jeff. I will be back tomorrow. Jeff will be back on Monday. And don't forget, tomorrow, Ron McLean will be joining us in the second hour as we approach Hockey Day in Canada, which goes Saturday. Thanks to everyone behind the glass, Lance Kennedy and Jen Rolnick. For Matt Marchese, so long until tomorrow. This has been the Jeff Merrick Show.